0: Welcome, friends, to the Eucharist Church Podcast. If you haven't heard, Hamilton, Ontario, the city where our church community is, has entered code red in the COVID lockdown. And what this means is that even though we have the legal right to gather uh in person in our building we've decided that we want to honor the spirit of the law we want to do our best to love our neighbors we want to be in solidarity with the businesses that have been forced to close so we are going to be pausing our in-person gatherings for a little while however we have two gatherings you can join in with during the week if you'd like to. First up on Sundays, we have a 10 a.m. gathering, which is like a 30-minute check-in for people in our community that want to talk to one another and connect and uh, have a breakout room time together. It was great, we did it today for the first time, it was awesome. We also have a kids program, one at nine, one at 9.30, depending on the age group. So Sunday mornings, little check-in time, go check out the details on eucharistchurch.ca if you wanna join that. We also have a, a service on Wednesday nights at 8 pm and during the season of advent the season leading up to christmas we're going to be having some contemplative services that will uh, have music and communion time but we'll kind of set up the gathering and then we will have a time where you get to just contemplate and light a candle in your living room and sit and listen to god's spirit from your own home i think it's going to be awesome So to set that up, and before we start diving into these Advent services, I wanted to release the recording from the first week, and sadly the only week, I got to preach this sermon, An Unbusy Advent. This is a really meaningful sermon to me because this whole theme of being unbusy has been huge in my life. It has really saved my soul. Over and over and over. And so, the idea of running that through this particular time, you know, a once in a generation experience, a once in a pandemic experience, to have an advent where you probably don't have many plans. And what a gift to have this sort of time, even in the midst of all the crap around us. So, I encourage you to uh, listen to this and then to ask the question what does it look like for me to have an unbusy advent this year and maybe to connect to God and to others? in ways that are deeper and even more meaningful than ever before. I think if I had to describe the one thing that every single person I know has in common, like the real root thing in in your soul at the deepest level, it's not age or gender or race or even religion, like really when you boil it all down, what's really at the core of each and every one of us is exhaustion. (laughs) I think exhaustion is just like so core to every person I've ever met from every world. I remember in grade 11, there was like half of a year in grade 11 where I wasn't exhausted, I wasn't like tired, I wasn't feeling like I was always trying to catch up. And then there was one night where I stayed up late to get a paper off. And since that day, I don't think I've stopped being stressed. Like, anyone else relate to this? There was like a moment where you just shifted into adult mode, and you were like, well, now I'm going to be stressed for the rest of forever. And I, since then, since that day, if you were to ask me, how are you doing? I would respond with something similar to, I'm doing good. I'm just so busy, the muffled voices say. I'm busy got places to go and things to do and work and family and friends and I've got so much going on and then I go to sleep and I go. Some, anyone else fall asleep like this uh, uh, like kind of perturbed and then wake up like this <gasps> with like just a list already of things in your mind it's awful it's awful anyone else wake up in the middle of the night and you're like great I can't go to sleep anymore because I'm so busy my brain won't stop being busy when my body's shut off busy 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 gotta go here gotta do that a never-ending list I feel like there's a list of things that I have to get done. And if I got to the bottom of the list, then I'd finally be like satisfied. But I know that at the bottom of that list is a little arrow saying flip to the other side with a whole other list of things to be done. I suspect it never is going to end. So, sometimes I think we fantasize about how we might escape from this. One of the common fantasies I hear people talking about is they're like, Well, the reason I'm so busy is because I have to be providing for myself, and I have to provide for my household, and I have to make money. And so maybe if I won the lottery, I wouldn't be busy. I've been reading a book about the acceleration of time, and uh, it's written by a professor named Andrew Root. And he talks about what might happen if you won the lottery. And I found it so enjoyable and horrifying to read that I thought I'd just bring it to all of you guys to read. Here's reasonably what might happen if you won the lottery. He says, even if you won the lottery and built a fort out of 50s, even if it was possible to use the money to unplug, somehow constraining the structural realities of speed's acceleration, the human need for the good life would get you. After binging the eighth season of The Bachelor, you'd start to feel it. Guilt would creep in. And you'd wonder, maybe it isn't right for me to unplug like this. Maybe it's a waste. And right then, the need to catch up would call for you. You'd think, maybe I should take advantage of this time and watch something enriching, like The Wire or BBC World News, or better yet, order Rosetta's Stone and learn Spanish. Actually, eating homemade bonbons hasn't been good for my figure. I should work out, but first I should research the best workout. When I get in shape, I'll need to keep up the workout or I'll fall behind and gain weight again. That would make me feel guilty. But even if I maintain my figure, I don't want to be a dull person. I should read all of Tolstoy's novels I never did. Maybe finally get through infinite jest. Right now I don't have the time, but I'll buy those books and put them on my shelf so others can see I'm the kind of person who purchases good literature. And every day I'll walk by them and i will be feeling good that I'm the kind of person that owns those books. But that good feeling will be interrupted by guilt because I've never had the time to read them. And the guilt will be more intense than just a sense of wasting money. It will feel like hypocrisy in my very being, a violation to myself. I present on this deep person who has the time to read, False falsely knowing and all these references my desire to be a certain kind of self. And my My inability to keep up with the pace of that self-demands condemns me, but there's even more that condemns me. I'm never able to get to those books because I've always wanted to be the kind of person who's informed, who knows what's going on. I can't read Tolstoy because I need to read the New York Times or at least a Facebook news feed. My friends keep posting Atlantic articles. I can't get through the times. Never mind the Atlantic. I feel guilty. I'm not like them. I'm not the kind of person who reads and posts Atlantic articles. At least Facebook has connected me with old friends, yes. Yes, but I feel guilty, although I've lost so much touch with so many people over the years. And now these people I see through social media, they rush back to me like a flood. I soon realize I have all the access, but none of the time to keep up with the hundreds or even thousands of these friends, which condemns me further and when a coworker asks have you been following they mean it as a line of conversation but i hear it as a line of condemnation i haven't i haven't i haven't had time to keep up on election fraud in wisconsin or the environmental corruption in northern california i could be following these kinds of events but instead i need to read more parenting books My kids are growing up so fast, I'm barely hanging on, I'm not being the parent they need. And I can feel good about getting a whole parenting book finished, it's much shorter. I can pick up on helpful tips, not getting left behind in parenting, maybe even being more intentional. Yes, now I'm able to ask another parent, have you read? And I can shift the guilt off of me and onto them. But the truth is these parenting books and their accessibility thrust me into more guilt. They provide more strategies to speed up and be a good parent, reminding me I'm not conscious enough and available in all the moments that I'll lose with my kids. I'm never gonna get them back. I was supposed to accomplish eight things before my daughter was five, and now she's nine, and there are eight more tasks. Unable to keep up with these parenting books and conferences and podcasts. I released my guilt by following the blog of Reverend Writer and she posts hilarious anecdotes of all of her parenting fails, telling her readers to relax. She whimsically reminds us that all of us ruin birthday cakes and get drunk at birthday parties for four-year-olds. And at one level, reading these posts assuages my guilt, but at another level, it just makes me feel more guilty. These bloggers seem to make even their failures cool and witty and authentic. They parent such interesting selves with clever references and hip headshots. I'm sure I could never be this kind of cool parent. Plus, I'll never have the time to try otherwise. Welcome to the modern world. Anybody else relate? (laughs) Anybody else find themselves hearing in that their own voice in their soul, their own condemnation that says, you've got to do more, do more, keep up, go, 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 hustle, be informed, be smart, be clever, be cool. Being busy is a drug. It's a drug, and we are hooked on it as a culture. It gives us, like all drugs, it immediately gives us what we want, the chance to present ourselves as important. I mean, if somebody thought you weren't busy, how would they know that you're important? It gives us a chance to master our world, but it's killing us. Being busy is killing us. I've really pinned down, I think, the one thing that destroys Marriages and friendships and families and churches and it's not what I expected I'm pretty sure at this point the single thing that murders all of that is Scheduling I just think it's scheduling. I know couples that have gotten divorced Because they could never find a time to go to counseling That's not a joke. I've got a couple cases We should go to counseling it would be really good for us. Yes, let's make it happen Then you don't talk about it for three weeks you know we really should do that counseling. Oh, yeah, 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 what date's good for you next Thursday? I'll make a call. Oh, they didn't pick up scheduling. I know people that have friendships and one of them moves away or Somebody has a child or starts a new job and suddenly the routine is thrown off and they're not seeing each other regularly And then before you know it Are you free Tuesday oh, Tuesday doesn't work for me Wednesday. What about Thursday? A five-minute conversation takes about three days over texting and before you know it you just get too busy and you forget I know a denomination of churches that almost split fine it's our denomination (laughs) that almost split over a big theological question and before we were going to have our big votes we were going to get together and talk and no one scheduled the talk and we're making decisions like voting on things that could split the body of Christ and we never got together to talk because of scheduling can you imagine sitting before the throne of god and and god is like why why did you split my church in a pandemic with all of the chaos why did you get together and have a vote without first meeting and can you imagine saying to god's glorious throne well it was a really busy month can you even imagine (laughs) It was really busy. We were all very busy. uh, It it freaks me out. And there's no busier time than Christmas, right? Christmas is just, when you're young, you think that Christmas is magic. And when you're old, you realize your mother loved you a lot. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is just the realization that somebody else was killing themselves to make things look effortless for you, and wow, I mean, what a beautiful gift that our parents gave us. But you've got parties, and gifts, and work parties, and church parties, and more presents to get, and a white elephant exchange, and the little fun outdoor displays downtown, and everything's filling up your schedule, And even in the winter, even walking is rushed because it gets cold. So you're just rushing around, clenching your teeth, kind of in a hurry to get everywhere. And you get home from work, and it's pitch black, and you've still got to get in the car and go to some other event. And how are we supposed to ready ourselves and prepare for the coming of Christ? To be present to one another, to be present to the people that we love when we're so enslaved by busy And this is where 2020 might just end on a decent note because this year your Christmas is gonna look different. And it's sad on the one hand. Like I like the caroling parties and I like the hanging out late and I like the going and seeing the reindeer downtown. It's all great, but you're not gonna do much of it this year and neither am I. And maybe this year, even though there's something sad about what we're gonna lose, during the Advent season the Christmas season. Maybe it also presents us with an opportunity. It's actually, if you think about it, this might be, <laughs> this might be your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's once-in-a-global pandemic at least. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have an entirely different pace of life during Advent, the season leading up to Christmas. And so that's what we want to talk about the next three weeks, and that's what I want to introduce to us tonight. And then we're going to get really practical on the conversation week and on the contemplative week jill's going to help us walk through an exercise to just Feel a bit of what it might feel like to enter into a non-busy posture sound good All right. So if you have a bible here and would like to open it up, let's go to luke chapter 8 Gospel of luke chapter 8 And uh, If you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it because we are no longer using slides If you don't own a Bible and you'd like one we have many a Bible we're a church It's like the only book we really have so we can give you your own Bible It will be like from an old Presbyterian Church, but the translations fine We got a lot of hand-me-downs Okay, so in this story in Luke chapter 8 Jesus has just calmed a storm on the waters When they arrive in another place, they meet a man possessed by a legion of demons, which Jesus then casts out into pigs. The pigs run off a cliff. Day in the life for Jesus. And he comes back over to his own people. And this is what he finds. Now, when Jesus returned, this is uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Think about Jesus and being busy for a second. All right, he's calmed a storm. He cast a legion of demons out of a man into some pigs. He finally gets home. He's ready for a nap, and the crowd is waiting for him. Do more, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. More demons, Jesus. It's just very strange. Just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. So a leader of the Jewish uh, cultural life, religious life. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years old who was dying put yourself here in jorris's position your daughter is dying 12 years old your only daughter your very heart and you're powerless to stop what's happening to her and you hear that there's this healer in israel among your own people And if you can just get to him he might be able to help the problem is everywhere he goes there's either a bunch of demons or crowds and so you're watching the crowd and you're thinking how can i get to jesus people everywhere have their needs and who am i to press through and demand that my daughter be healed when everyone has their own suffering and yet he does i've got to go i need his help he is so desperate he will push through to get to christ As he went, the crowds pressed in on... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Fell down at Jesus' feet. He had a daughter who was 12 years old who was dying. So, after this, Jesus goes with him. It's not in the text, but it's implied. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him, in on Jesus. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one... Could Cure her and of course many of you be familiar that to suffer from something like hemorrhaging in the ancient world Was not just a physical condition it affected how you interacted with your own people You had to spend time outside of the community there were places you couldn't enter you'd be considered unclean There are huge social and political Ramifications to the physical illness this woman is dealing with she's been dealing with it for 12 years and (laughs) Isn't a great parallel 12 years 12 year old daughter just wonderful and nothing could cure her, so she's taking a risk here, just like Jairus did, taking a risk after 12 years of suffering, trying to find out if Jesus can heal her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, "Who touched me?" And when all denied it, Peter said, <laughs> "I love Peter. He's very logical here." Peter said, "Master." Um, the crowds surround you on all sides and press in on you. Like, this isn't exactly a no-touch zone, very un-COVID safe, no bubbles. But, when, but Jesus said, someone touched me. It's interesting. Everyone's touching him, but someone touched him with an intent, with a faith, with a trust. Someone touched me, for I noticed that the power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I love this image of Jesus saying, who touched me? Who touched me? And they're all like, oh, uh uh-huh. And he's like, no, I really, I want to know who touched me. I want to praise her faith. Like, I'm not getting anyone in trouble here. I want to know who believed enough to shove their way through this crowd, to risk contamination, to to be a person who is sick and to touch someone else, might risk contaminating someone else. But in this case, instead of contaminating Jesus, his purity goes on to her. There's a whole other sermon. But who is this woman that has such great faith that she'll risk this all to come to me? Oh, I want to praise your faith. But as this little side story is happening, Again, think of yourself as jurists. Think about that time you really wanted an appointment at the doctor. And you're like, I've been trying to get an appointment, I've been calling, I've been trying to book this, I need a surgery, I need information, I need clarity. And imagine you got to the doctor's office and the doctor was like, yes, I've been waiting for you, I've got your file right here, let's get into it. And you're like, oh boy, and then someone else was like, I'm bleeding, and he was like, oh my gosh, let's take care of you. You'd be like, lady, get in line. Like, hey, Jesus, let's go. We've got to move. We need to accelerate this along. My daughter is sick. And while he was still speaking, Jesus, someone came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. It seems like his fears are played out here. That something about Jesus' lack of urgency his lack of hustle to get there has backfired on them all and when jesus heard this he replied do not fear only believe and she will be saved when he came to the house he did not allow anyone to enter with him except peter john and james and the child's father and mother they were all weeping and wailing for her but he said do not weep she's not dead but sleeping they laughed at him knowing that she was dead but he took her by the hand and called out child get up her spirit returned and she got up at once then he directed them to give her something to eat I love this story because of the way that Jesus operates in it. Jesus is so open, so present, and I think I feel like like almost all the time, come on, let's go. We can get this done. If we get this done early enough, I can still go do something else in the day. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. But Jesus is calm and centered, and Jesus is able to just be attentive to a distraction and attentive to someone who's suffering. Jesus is remarkably unhurried in the Gospels John Mark Homer who wrote a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry He was describing talking about this with someone and he was asking a mentor of his How would you describe Jesus in the Bible in one word and his mentor took a second and then responded? Relaxed Relaxed Can you even really imagine Jesus in a hurry? Like shoving through the ground, out of my way! I've got places to be! I'm Jesus! Like you just can't even picture it! Every story, he's empathetic, he's present, he's not stressed about the future, he's not worried about the past, he is perfectly able to be exactly where he is. And I know what you're thinking, well that's nice for Jesus, but Jesus didn't have bills to pay! Jesus didn't have young kids. Jesus didn't have a job. And to that point, you are correct. But also, you can't raise the dead. And so, my guess is that he probably had a couple of people coming his way too. You know what I mean? Like, his his busyness was not the same as our busyness, but he absolutely could have been If you're a miracle worker, you could have been the busiest person in the world. There is no stop to the requests that are going to come in if you've got the kind of power that Jesus had. And yet Jesus is regularly setting boundaries. He's regularly leaving to go off and find a quiet place to pray. Sometimes he sees the crowds and he goes the other way. And sometimes he sees the crowds and has compassion on them. My favorite thing that Jesus does is he naps. In the story about the calming of the storm, it says that there was a huge storm, and Jesus was napping in the bottom, and as the boat began to fill with water, they went to wake him up, which is the soundest napping ever. Like, it's not just there's a storm. The boat is filling up with water, and Jesus is still like, this is going to be fine. And again, he's Jesus, but he's modeling for us we're supposed to be creatures remade in the image of Christ, truly human ones. He's modeling something for us about how our life is meant to work. That we're not meant to be running around, busying ourselves up, striving in all of our might to control everything in our life, that we are meant to emulate something about how Jesus sets boundaries, how Jesus says no, how Jesus finds solitude and silence. And yes, even how Jesus naps. We're meant to find in this freedom. And this is going to look different for every person. All right? Very rarely in the scriptures do you read about Jesus and then go do what he did, largely because he lived 2,000 years ago. Most of the things he did, you can't really do anyways. Like, you know, we're wearing clothing, and we got cars. It's all very different. But each of us is going to be confronted, each of us individually in our own lives are going to be confronted with the question of how we avoid the grind, the busyness. And each of us are given by God ways to get out from that oppression and to find freedom in an unbusy, uncluttered, simple, present life. Now, each of us, again, going to look different. Some of you are full-time working with frantic schedules. You get home late. Currently, you are the people that are leaving the house when it's dark and then getting home when it's dark. And if you work indoors, you're just like, do I? Is the sun gone? And no one told me. You know that feeling when you're working too much? Uh, Some of you have young kids at home, and it it is so incessant. Like, the noise of young... Gosh, I love my children, but it is just... It is the only word I can come up with is relentless I just it's relentless sometimes it's relentless adorable and sometimes it's relentless I want to punt you out the window but it's relentless it's just relent it never stops how can I not be busy some of you are activists you're engaged in meaningful work it feels like the world needs you right now go there's never a time to stop because the evil isn't taking a day off you know what I mean some of you are students with papers, and classes, and labs. Some of you have full social lives, seeing people all the time, and some of you have nothing on. Some people have nothing on right now. And isn't it weird that even when you have nothing on, you can still feel so busy? (laughs) It's our first clue that this busyness isn't fundamentally about our schedules it's related to it but not fundamentally I have a friend whose brother-in-law lived in a very small town worked at a factory went to church once a week nothing else social no other commitments lived in a house that the parents gave them had no children his wife didn't work and he had a mental breakdown from the stress and anxiety of being too busy. Which again, is not to say something callous, how dare someone like that have a mental breakdown. No, it's the opposite. This is so human, so present in all of our lives, that even if you pare down a lot of your life, it's not enough in and of itself to change that incessant feeling of busy. The feeling of busy Is about anxiety. It's that frantic feeling that you have to control something. Being busy is that feeling of striving, waking up and saying, what must I do today to earn my keep on earth? What must I do today to make good the limited time that God has given me? How can I finally do enough to earn my keep so that I can go to sleep and wake up tomorrow and try to earn it in my own strength again? And that is what Jesus wants to set us free from my suspicion is that being busy is less about what we are doing and more about how we are doing it that being busy is less about what we're doing more about how we do it it's that being busy being unbusy is fundamentally a posture so for example every night my job in the household you know i get home from work we do the like dinner rush It's dark out now and kind of oppressive. And turn on the lights, put on nice music, try to have fun, cook up some food. You know, my kids eat the same thing over and over and over. So it's frozen peas again for the baby. And it's, you know, the same old mac and cheese on a bad day. And, ugh, peanut butter and jam on a good day. And sliced up, no crust, give it to the kids, and you got that feeling like, let's go, let's go. (laughs) If anyone here is parents, I I hope you have that feeling. It's not just me. Come on, let's go. Double time this child, and she's eating, and she's, daddy, I've got, I'm like, we don't have time. Any I got? Let's pretend. No time to pretend today, child. I'm exhausted. I'm so busy. I want a couple of hours of peace before I go to bed and it starts again. And I get my daughter all fed, and it's I'm with her. My wife's with the with son one, the little one. And and I you know push the son one. He has a name, but I call him the son one. <laughs> so I'm apparently a horrible father. And I push my child. I push her down the hallway. Let's go. Let's go. I take her into the bathroom. We're gonna brush her teeth. Pop her up. The <laughs> I brush it shorter than I should, but I'm a good dad, so I do it for a little while, like, okay, okay. Now it's your turn, and she'll like, some days if I'm good, she'll brush for a while, and I'm like, a bit longer, but if I'm a bad dad that day, she's like, ah, I'm done, and I'm like, yeah, you're done, let's go, like, I'm just, I'm just so tired, and oh, she forgot to pee, okay, hop in the toilet, and make sure you wash your hands, up the stairs, we go, you want me to carry you? Fine, pick her up by a leg, throw her over my shoulders, walk up the stairs, get her into her room, I don't have water, get the water, where are my stuffies? Oh, your room's a mess get her there. Oh, have got to read a book. Which book? It's got to be a short book tonight, I say. <laughs> and we read the book, and we set the sun clock, and we do her rules, and we say her prayers, and what are we grateful for today? And I'm like, I don't know. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I'm such a great spiritual leader in the household. And Then at the end, I love you. Good night. I want another hug. Ah, It's the last hug. I finally get out of the room, and there's one more call. I run back in. I adjust the lighting. I get back out. Ah, ah. And it's 7 o'clock, and I did it. It was a miserable, grumpy man the whole way through. And sometimes I take my time, and I think, this is my kid. I love her so much. Oh, she has another question. How fun. (laughs) Oh, she wants to imagine again. Sure. You want to read a book? Pick any book you want. Doesn't need to be a short one. Oh, the chapter book. Okay, here we go. Might as well get the pillow behind me and get comfortable. Read it slow. What are you grateful for today? Let me tell you what I'm grateful for. Let's thank God for those things. Do you want to pray again the prayer that Jesus taught us? All right, honey. Good night. Amen. Oh, you want to do the silly game? Here's the hand person. That's the last game. That's like, the, like if I'm like a oh, hand person's like I'm on a good day because I'll play this hand person game and it just goes for, for way too long. And then I say, good night, honey, and I kiss her good night. And I walk in and I think, wow, I love my kid. And I go downstairs. I pour a glass of wine. And I look at the clock. And it's 7.04. It took about four minutes longer for me to just be a decent human being. But more than that, for me to enjoy it. What am I rushing through? Why am I in such a hurry to get through? I mean, again, parents and anyone who's rushing through your job, rushing through your stuff, clearly confessed it. I get it. But really, what am I in a rush for? Sometimes I feel like, you know when you're driving on the highway And you see that one person, I was going to say one guy, obviously probably is a guy, who's just like on everyone's tail and then like like gets over one lane and then gets over another lane. And they're just burning it and they're like cutting out of the HOV lane. And they're just like playing it so dangerous. And you're like, you bozo. And then like you finally, like you're, you're driving and you just see him go off. And then eventually you hit traffic and you pull up and you just like pull up next to them. I never had that or like my favorites like a red light when someone's like like goes green and they, ah! and they're weaving in and out and they do all this work and they're right on your back and they're honking and they get to the light and then you just like hmm you just pull up next to them cruising like hello like what are you in a where are you in a rush to get to the red light you're in a rush to get nowhere that's how I feel in my life that's how I feel when I'm being busy I'm in a big rush To nothing. And it would take me five extra minutes to do every activity with a little more joy and a little more presence. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us again and again and again that you can take silence you can be present, you can face distractions without the need to move everything along. You can enter into Eugene Peterson's translation of Jesus's teachings, that we can enter into the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what God has for us. Unforced rhythms of grace that wants to set us free from our striving and set us free from our busy. So, we've got Advent coming up, and we're going to save all the practical questions of this for the week C, which is the participatory week. We're going to try to have people share, share what we find valuable, kind of make a bit of a practical guide to think through how do you unbusy Advent. That's why we're doing it in early November, so this kind of three-week period will end right before Advent. We're trying to beat your family and friends to their fun alternative Zoom Advent party um, Advent party. clearly. I'm a pastor. They're called Christmas parties you dummy um, But I do want to talk then about just setting up a bit of a spiritual posture for each of us to go into the next month with um, And I want to talk about it in four directions Theology my professor used to say to me is always a question in four directions. What does this say about God? What does this say about creation? What does this say about ourselves and what does this say about others and so Quickly, uh, in four directions, what does being unbusy, slowing ourselves down, reveal to us? First up is how it helps us interact with our God. Brother Lawrence, who was uh, a monk who lived a very simple life and died a very quiet life, but since then his writings have been picked up by people all over the world engaging with the mystics and the saints. He wrote, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business, wholly for the love of him? We can do little things for God, I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Brother Lawrence was famous for Worshiping and praying as he did the dishes which is a real harsh reminder for me because when I do the dishes I watch YouTube um, But I've been trying not to To not fill up every moment, but to allow moments for silence and in that silence to put Reverence for God I sit in this pew to the glory of God I Ride my bike to work to the glory of God do my dishes and change this button work this shift to the glory of god the simple ordinary things that we do that when we're not in a rush can become acts of worship how does it help us reconnect with the creation uh, jill my co-pastor at eucharist was talking about being on a silent retreat at Loyola house in guelph And how she went and sat under this beautiful tree. But as she walked up to sit under it, all these birds flew off in every direction. And she watched them. She's like, wow, look at these birds. What a beautiful part of God's creation. What a beautiful way they're connected to everything here. Wow. She said she sat under that tree, and sat in silence for what felt like an hour, but was probably five minutes because that's how silence goes. And then after a few minutes, she said, the birds started returning to the tree. And started singing all around her and She realized when she's not in a rush to get everywhere Nature comes to speak to her Nature comes to us and testifies to the goodness of God testifies to the goodness of this world Nature comes to us and fills us with wonder and here's the thing you don't even have to go looking for it You just have to not do anything You just have to not go on your phone not keep running down the street not be in a rush. Like it's it's negation Just not doing some things To receive from creation what it is always trying to say to you Okay a couple more things What does it tell us about? ourselves John O'Donohue, who was an Irish mystic writes a uh, story about a man exploring Africa. Very nonspecific. I don't know where in Africa. I hear it's a big place, but this is how he tells it. Said the man he knew was in a desperate hurry on a journey through the jungle. He had three or four Africans helping him carry his equipment. They raced onward for about three days. At the end of the third day, the Africans sat down and would not move. He urged them to get up, telling them of the pressure he was under to reach his destination before a certain date. They refused to move. He could not understand this. After so much persuasion, they still refused to move. Finally, he got one of them to admit the reason. The native said, we have moved too quickly to reach here. Now we need to wait to give our spirits a chance to catch up with us. We learn about ourselves that we can move within our spirits. That our bodies can go and go and go and go. And sometimes the reason we wake up with anxiety, the reason we struggle to fall asleep, is just because our body needs some time for our spirit to catch up. That we are holistic creatures, soul and body. And we need to slow down, refuse the allure of busyness, to be able to let our body and soul integrate together into a living thing. Finally, what does it tell us about others? I was down at the waterfront earlier this week, the day after the election, which was just a beautiful day, and as I was walking hold on one sec we'll get you to play this in a second as i was walking down it looked like that it was beautiful and like the feeling of like you know the evil empire being defeated in america by my opinion people can vote whoever they want but i was like the evil empire is defeated and it felt just like everyone was happier people were skipping there were children i walked by this family and they were speaking a language I'm not familiar with, but it was like a dad, and then these three, like his kids and his wife, they all had these um, leaves, and they were getting ready to do like one of those throw-up-in-the-air pictures. And I was like, hey, the pressure's on. And he was like, I'm going to try to nail it. And everyone was laughing. And I walked a bit further, and I saw um, a 19-year-old man and a younger boy, probably about 13, 14 years old, and the younger boy clearly had physical mental um, uh, issues, and he was in a wheelchair and he was really bent up and he was laughing so hard and the 19-year-old was laughing so hard i think they were brothers and the 19-year-old like the older brother kept tickling his younger brother and then they'd both just erupt into laughter and they'd walk and he'd tickle him again and they erupted into laughter and i was like what is going on this is so beautiful i saw another guy who had his younger sister on his shoulders and they were doing a tiktok and i was like sort of dancing when i heard the music as i went by and i thought man Normally, I'm on my headphones when I'm out at the water or I'm biking or I'm running. I'm never just walking. And as I'm walking, I'm seeing that even though the world at the higher levels feels insane, there are a million acts of love that I'm noticing in every single person I walk by small acts of kindness, small acts of joy. If I were to measure it out, there's way more love than fear. There's way more love than hate. What a beautiful world. And this is when I started. You can hit this now. I started filming as I was just walking. And I was like, I just need to remember what this felt like because it was such a beautiful moment. The world was just illuminated. And I saw these people having a fire they were like barbecuing on the edge of the water and the city behind them and the sunlight hitting them and they had their motorcycles there and they were blasting terrible rock and roll from the 70s that I hate but I was like in this context I loved it I was like wow look at them just having a time grilling it up playing their music living life COVID doesn't have us defeated politics doesn't get the last word we're gonna be all right and at the end feeling very inspired I made my way slowly over to the water, breathing it all in, watching all these people just exchange these little moments of joy, feeling completely full in my spirit. and When I got all the way to the edge, I looked at my favorite view of the whole city, Coots Paradise over there, and I looked down into the water and realized how clear it was and that everything In the world is gonna be okay if I can slow down and be present. As soon as I turned it off, I heard behind me, what the F are you filming? And it was one of the biker women She's like, what are you filming? What are you filming? And her other friend's there. And she's like, yeah, what the F are you doing? What are you doing, huh? Think this is funny? And they're filming me. And they're like, get over here. Get, and I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my God. I'm supposed to be blissed out. So I was like, stay calm. Stay. Stay present. Don't get busy. Don't get reactionary. So I go, hey. <laughs> i start walking over and i'm like yeah um yeah. not wasn't trying to pull anything funny and she's like well then get over here and tell us about it get over here and delete the video and i was like oh my gosh okay i'll delete the video and the guy behind them's like you're lucky it's them talking to you and not me buddy and i was like oh my gosh and he starts coming over and he's like this guy has got a bandana on and he's got tattoos but not like hipster tattoos you know what i mean like Real tattoos, like scary ones from when you were a kid. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of scared. And I was like, I'll delete it. I'm gonna delete it. I I just want you to know I I was only filming it because it just looked so beautiful. And they were like, oh yeah, right, yeah, right. Delete it. Delete it. I go, okay, okay, I will, I will. I just I just can I just can I just show it to you just to just to show you that I wasn't trying to pull anything funny, I wasn't trying to record you secretly for any reason. And they're like, oh yeah, right. And I said, Oh, let me just like I just showed you, she goes, fine. I press play. And show it to her and she just goes, Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Oh, my God. Oh, the motorcycle part. Oh, my God. Everybody get over here. And they all start coming over. And she's like, look at this video. Look, show them again. Show them when the motorcycle comes in. Oh, look at the reflection off the water. That's gorgeous. And the guy's like, oh, man, sorry. I was so mad. I just, you know, we've had people taking photos and trying to do all sorts of stuff. And we just wanted to, you know, make sure. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's all fine. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you see him all right. You see him all right. And she goes, can you send that to me? I'm like, uh sure, what's your email? She goes, Facebook it to my friend. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to email a random stranger. Here's a video I took of your friends when they weren't looking. Ugh. And then she's like, she's like, oh yeah, no, we've had troubles down here. And he's, he starts talking and going, you know, the, world, the world's okay, isn't it? The world's okay. It's going to be okay, isn't it? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be okay. He goes, everything's so messed up with the COVID. And the election, they got that Bowdoin in now, and who knows if he's gonna be any better than that Trump. The world's so messed up, we used to just hang together, man. And he's like not six feet away. And I'm like, yeah, we used to hang together. And he goes, uh, oh, you want a burger? <laughs> and I go, sure. <laughs> and they go and start making me a burger. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And I walk over and I'm talking, and I just realize like there's so much pain and so much sadness that there's so much frustration they're feeling. And as we're talking, I'm just like, you know what, though? You're, You're grilling it up with your friends and having a drink down by the water and taking your time, and isn't that what it's all about? And he goes, yeah, man, it is. And I go, on second thought... You know, my wife's got dinner waiting for me at home, so maybe I can't eat the COVID burger. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. I go, I should get going, but I just, it was, it was great to meet you guys. And then as I walk away, they go, oh man, so great to meet you. Hey, bye. And I look back and all these people that a second ago were just yelling at me are waving, bye, great to meet you. And if I had been busy, I wouldn't have encountered the moment. If I had been busy when they started yelling at me, I would have said, oh, yeah, 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 I'm deleting it. I wouldn't be deleting it. I would have just said, ah, screw you, and walked off as quick as I could. There's something gorgeous about the pace. Something gorgeous about the unbusiness of it all. I was there to prep my sermon, and it felt very unprepping-like until the story happened, when I went, oh, thanks, God, there's a great prep for the sermon. And I walked around the loop at the waterfront, just telling the story to myself over and over and laughing. And thanking God for the gift of Christ showing us how to live unbusy lives. And I got all the way over to a little sunbeam at the edge and lay down and had a nap.